So how's everybody doing? Good, man. Not bad. Cool, cool. Does anybody have any uh, any changes to report? Yeah. Anything <laughs> going on? Nothing? No? Uh, okay. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> well, congratulations, Steve. Thanks, man. My wife and I uh, welcomed a little girl into the world uh, on July 11th. 7-Eleven. Uh, <laughs> so she'll be she'll be set for life with free Slurpees, which is a good thing for her. I know. That's yeah. or, or me, depending how you look at it. I mean, like she has no say in it until she can actually, you know, <laughs> hold stuff or say stuff. So <clears throat> she's part of that generation that's going to think that kind of uh, uh, sugar addiction is so passe. <laughs> she's not going to want the free Slurpee. It's like half, <laughs> this is true. Half fructose corn syrup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's what I'm for. So you can just give it to me. Right, right. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, I got a yeah, I got a job, and I'm gonna get a new doctor, and I'm probably gonna move soon. It's damn. That's not as that's not nearly as crazy as a new baby, but it's still it's still pretty big, man. It's a lot of stuff, man. And I'm trying to adjust. Well, I guess this is a good time for me to mention to you guys uh, that I have just this afternoon weeded. Uh, about a third of the backyard uh, flower gardens. Damn. That's, that's incredible, man. Yeah, I know. You just came in. You just came in at the end with that bomb drop, huh? Right. Like right. you just kind of overshadowed all of us. <laughs> Some of us have big news. You guys have your little things going on, but you know, I've got real life going on. <laughs> Puts it into perspective. And I saw a roly poly. I saw several roly polies, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, for those that don't know what the hell's going on, they're, they're listening to Movie Schmovie. Because we never yes. are that good at saying that when we first start talking. So, you know, two minutes in, just as a reminder, this is Movie Schmovie. Uh, I'm Steve. I'm John. I'm Ron. And, you know, Steve, actually, I think that as, uh, as unprofessional as it may seem, I think that like a lot of these prestige dramas that come on, they have the cold open, you this know, the true. little scene before you get the opening theme song. This is true. So I kind of feel like what we just had was sort of like a cold open. It was sort of an intriguing moment where people are going, what is this, a flashback? Is this right, right. a dream <laughs> sequence? What's going on here? That's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So now here we are in the show proper. And cool. we're all the way up to, this is 196, right? If, uh, 196. If the numbers count, right? It's uh, 196, which is, uh, <laughs> yeah, right after 195. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I was going to say turn it upside down, and it looks like 961. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That'll be the day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that will be. One of us will have like an eye patch by that time, and you know, another one of us will have lost an arm. It'll be a whole different uh, situation. I have a legitimate fear of having an eye patch. That's so weird you said that. Like, I've been having these, like, feelings lately about, like, I don't want to lose an eye. I don't know why the hell I've been having those. It's strange, man. Weird, yeah. Do you have, do you have any particular phobias about, like, eye trauma in general? Like, I find eye trauma to be a very upsetting notion when yes. it's depicted in films yes. or anything like the way it can kind of just pop and all this blood goes out it very just really so. it's very creepy um so. i also have a really weird one obscure one if my penis hits a corner of my boxers like a like a edge where it's like yeah sort of poking towards my uh the hole of my penis uh i go crazy i don't know if i've ever mentioned that to you why would you have <laughs> i jump up and down it's like a a legitimate phobia about the the cloth i don't know why that would ever happen but it's like a paper cut kind of effect yes it's like it's my fear of getting uh, thank you thank you so you get what i'm you get where i'm coming from at least i know what you're talking about when something kind of slides uh uh parallel with the the hole yeah and it kind of gives you a little bit of a feeling of like oh god that would you realize that if someone were trying to torture you all they'd have to do would be to uh yep Whip off your pantalones and 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 go to work on your your peepee hole. Done, done, <laughs> done. You would any information you want me to give, I'd just do that and like ah, I'm 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 good for it. So Steve, uh, being around the 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 wonder of life as you've ushered this beautiful new uh, rock star into the world, have you missed conversations like this one? <laughs> so deeply, yeah. I, my life feels incomplete without the paper cut penis hole conversation. <laughs> Well, how much, what, what media have you guys been taking in lately? I feel like I've seen all the big 
tentpole movies that I was looking forward to this summer um, mm-hmm. already. So that's that's news since the last time we got together. I've seen Baby Driver, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, and mm-hmm. War for the Planet of the Apes. Okay, me too. I'm, I'm getting more and more excited for Dunkirk, and I probably will see Valerian, uh, which come out the day that this podcast comes out, but uh, have not seen those yet. Ah. Um, but as far as like that feeling of what what am I excited about this summer, I've seen the the ones that really had me super jazzed. Now there's yeah, sure. a few other ones I'm interested in, but this was this was the 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 brunt of it. Mm, okay, Steve, what about you? <laughs> Man, I ain't seen sh- I ain't seen shit. Like, <laughs> I, I can say I can say now because it comes out today that I saw I, I have seen Girls Trip. Okay, which is the uh, which I think you and I talked about, Ronald. But like you know, that's Jada Pinkett, Queen Latifah, Tiffany. Is it Hadish? Uh, Haddish. Haddish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget who else was in it. Um, so that's what I've seen that's relevant right now. Mm-hmm. I have not seen Spider Man. I have not seen War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, God damn. Yeah, that's really disappointing. But that's that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Well, how about this? How about we talk about the TV stuff first, and then we get into the movies? Have Have you seen Game of Thrones season premiere? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. John, have you seen the season premiere of Game of Thrones? Yes. I think that I was really primed for this season. And as a book fan, I feel that the show is now just doing its own thing and you can kind of enjoy it as something separate from an adaptation. But I do think what is happening to that as a, as a book series is one of the most interesting things that's ever happened to a series of books, which is that this adaptation is is usurping its place in the culture even if in the end the books come out and they're extra great and they might be better than the show, who knows? But right now the show is the thing. You know, I think that's so intriguing. Well, that's, that's pretty amazing to me, um, especially since, you know, for the last five or six years, that's all I've been hearing is references to the book, which is great that people have read the books and took it in and all that stuff. But I like that we're at a point now where we're all kind of on this collective one note where we're taking in the, the, this new show, experiencing new things with no expectations right. beyond it's new. Something crazy is going to happen. No references to any 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 books. It's kind of incredible. It's the best time to watch Game of Thrones to me. And I think a lot of people just jumped on. I may have heard some crazy number. I don't know if this is right, but that the premiere uh, numbers were like uh, 150% of what last year's premiere numbers were. Does anyone know if they can verify that? Or? I saw that same number. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's pretty incredible. I mean, has the hype reached a point where people kind of know this big story is kind of winding down and it's at its it's at its peak of sort of relevance? There's really nothing else out there that quite touches it in terms of the critical response and just how consistent the quality has been. Abs- I mean, I would, I would say absolutely not. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of other prestige television out there that we all have talked about before and that we enjoy. But I mean, I think as a cultural, like a pop cultural just the relevance of what Game of Thrones is. I think also this is an interesting uh, approach, like, you know, how long it took for season seven to kind of come out. Like, it took longer than it normally does. And, you know, I think the time that they put it out is a really uh, smart decision because, like, there's, there's a, like, a little bit of a lull in TV programming right now. Like, series are off air or there's, like, a cycle coming back up where new seasons are starting soon or just started. So... You know, it's kind of like really all things lined up perfectly, I think, for Game of Thrones. Like you guys mentioned, like the idea of literally going off book and, you know, people that like the books or people that have never read a book in their life, like, you know, the Game of Thrones series, like myself, it's just everybody can kind of like, it bottlenecks into this like just excitement to see, uh, you know, where these characters are going and even though you see an end in sight, there's a lot of moving pieces still and you're down to like, you know, a core... Uh, a core, I don't know how many there are, maybe like six core characters that you're still like kind of following deeply. Um, but I guess across other TV series, like I really don't know. I mean, outside of The Walking Dead, but I'm not really a fan of, I don't really see anything else that really even comes close to just the kind of cultural, pop culture presence that Game of Thrones has. Like the reach that it has across like different demos and like, the fact that you see like celebrities tweeting about Game of Thrones and you know social media, the, the presence for that show is just insane. With excitement, people just wanting to watch it, wanting to see it, viewing parties for it, you know things like that. Like that doesn't really happen a lot, 
and I mean it, it's 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 that show right now, and yeah, you know it's going out. You know, hopefully it goes out with a bang and has like an amazing last two seasons, and you know can sustain this. But it's just it's a uh, not to mention like you know you're seven seasons in, you really want to see what's going what's going to go down. I mean like last year when we were talking about uh like our, i think i don't know if it was like thanksgiving i forget what episode we were talking about but it was like our favorite things and i remember mentioning like i felt like season six i picked it as one of my things like i just think they did a really good job with season six and kind of like getting some of these pieces aligned on the board where like people that were really invested in the series like really kind of were you know if there was any chance you kind of were you know lulled out or like kind of drifted away a bit I think they did a great job of like kind of picking up the pace a little bit and and showing you that these last, you know, season and a half and then these two that are left really are like it seems like the pace is way faster because the world building's done, the character building is done, the characters have thinned out, like I said, down to six or so like core things that you're following. We're at the end of the story and we can count the number of chapters we have left. Right. We just saw the first episode of the seventh season, which is a seven-episode season, and then in a year or so, maybe not in 2018, but sometime in the next couple of years, we will get the final six episodes. So we know that we are looking at 13 final installments, and we just saw one of them. So there are 12 more episodes. So every episode has to be huge in a way, has to have some some resolution. And I think last season you started to get that feeling going of these monumental things were happening and, and secrets that they kept hidden were starting to be revealed and characters who whose purpose you wondered about was starting to come to a head. I think that all that stuff is so interesting that you couldn't do it without all these years of complex development. And sometimes unsatisfying storytelling where they're postponing these two characters meeting or they're postponing this this person finding out something that would change their life you know i think that it's we're at a really interesting point where you can see what they're kind of sketching in as some of the challenges that might be part of those climaxes and i think i see this trajectory where maybe this season is going to deal with all the squabbling amongst the different kingdoms and then next season is going to be the the battle we've seen coming all along that now everyone's going to have to know is real which is the threat from the north of the wall how did you guys feel about the first episode of season seven just as an episode of television uh well i guess i guess i have to speak about this because i'm a little outside of this a little bit um this is this is the layman outside of the game of thrones world i haven't been in i haven't been uh stuck to the tv for a couple years about this um i think what game of thrones does better than any other show that deals with uh white dudes stabbing each other in fantasy is it's it is the most accessible fantasy show i've ever watched in my life beyond the cultural phenomenon right it has the perfect amount of boobs the perfect amount of blood the perfect amount of romance and it's woven in a way that's very fast-paced like you said and done in a way that is very easy to understand once you understand the world despite the fact that they introduce and reference things constantly from years and years ago. That's all it is at the heart of it, right? And then the way that they, the rumors, the rumors within that sometimes get people all riled up. So like the way that they're going to format Game of Thrones has has gotten people kind of riled up and ready to hear what's going to happen for the next couple of seasons. It's something about the way that this thing has been presented the way that this feels very curated, very a little bit for everybody, man. I could I could put somebody in front of an episode, whether they've watched all of it or none of it, and people get just as excited to see some of the things that kind of happen. And I, I don't, I've never watched any fantasy that's been that accessible. It's weird. I'm not. I'm, I, it's it's crazy. Like I, so that's that's how I feel about Game of Thrones in general. The first episode to me was a, a, an incredible introduction to all of the things that are to come, and I was excited because I had to watch a, 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 you know, I had to watch the summary sort of deal because I I missed the season, so I watched the special, the Sky HD special, Game of Thrones: The Story So Far, which I suggest to anybody, please watch that. It is the best summary of the show that I've ever seen. It has maps, family trees. Uh, descriptions of uh, rivalries it's probably the best catch up I've ever seen um, but yeah okay so to sum it all up 
best introduction I've seen to first episode that I've seen in a while. I, I'm glad that it set the tone for everything. And I didn't think that it would the way that it did. And there were a lot of scenes that didn't have any dialogue that really were powerful. So that's it. That's how I feel about it so far. What about you guys? Yeah, I've heard some people complaining that not a lot happened in it, but I feel like everything that happened was sort of like setting you up for these moments and that it ended with this notion of, okay, here we are. Now let's start this. I kind of think this was like a roundup. If you'd seen season six, Ronald, you would see that certain scenes in this episode kind of mirrored scenes from the season finale of last year. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Here's what happened. Oh, yeah. And here's what's important from before. Oh, yeah. And now we're going to mention certain things over and over again in this episode, like the importance of the wall and and certain things that are sort of like clues to what might be the important story going forward. It, it actually did seem like a good jumping on point right, right. for someone, almost like this was the beginning of a movie that had to kind of catch you up on what's important now. Right. What did you think, Steve? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm pretty much in agreement with like what Rana was saying. Uh, I, I think... I mean, I think I think it's a very good decision, though, to do what they did in terms of like what they're being criticized for a bit, which is like, you know, it's kind of just reiterating some of the things that we knew coming out of season six. But, you know, they're also, I think, trying to like like welcome new fans to the series and like also make up for the fact that it was the a longer um, a longer cycle between seasons. So, like, you know, it's 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 something that maybe um I think it's going to benefit the viewers in the long run in terms of this season to have done that instead of just maybe jumping in and maybe losing people. Um, Cause unfortunately like some people are not going to seek out like the recaps, like, you know, that Ronald recommended, even though they should, cause they are like really, really helpful. Um, but I, I don't know. Like I thought it was a great episode. I thought, you know, kind of showing, you know, like a lot of our lead characters kind of showing their motivations at the start of the season and giving us a, a sweet taste of justice for Aria and, um, you know, these episodes I think are going to become known this season from what I've read as like every episode kind of having some sort of moment like that because of the pacing of the seasons. And, and like you said, John, like the fact that there are 12 chapters of this story left, you know, there are these things that are outlying and that we want to see resolved or we want to see these moments and, uh, not that, you know, and, and you don't want to see them if they're not going to serve the story, but I mean, there's a lot of the long play storylines that are coming together now in this season and next so it was cool to see the season kick off with like something that really is uh you know four seasons deep into getting some sort of retribution for um what happened at the red wedding and um you know you think that we have that revenge at the end of last season and you kind of start this season with you know a deeper cut into that into that taste for revenge and it was a pretty fucking cool opening in my in my opinion and and the rest of the episode was great i mean I, like i said i think it's good to, to set the table and to remind everybody where the motivations are while still moving the story forward and you see some people coming together um with cersei and euron and seeing danny step foot you know at dragonstone was cool and you know you just you see these like monumental things that have have, have you know you, you're waiting for them for seven seasons in some cases like with danny like step this to, that's that's what a what an awesome way to end an episode um to have her walk on to the sand and look up and see that mountain that you know that sam has kind of just read about in the book of you know where obsidian is and it's just cool stuff i mean i, I just love how they've kind of laced all this stuff together and uh, me, like I'm just, I'm so deep on this show, even having not read the books. But like I'm, I've, I've been listening to all these podcasts. There's an amazing podcast called Binge Mode that um, basically recapped all six seasons prior to this season's debut. Like every episode, they would, they released the seasons in like every other week, I believe. But um, it's uh, it's an amazing podcast, and they're really, really, really great hosts, and they they kind of break down all these different stories and. Um, I've learned a lot about the books through that podcast, which in some cases make some things on the show make a lot more sense to me. Um, but oh wow, I don't know. I thought it was a great episode, and uh, uh, man, I can't wait till Sunday to see another one. Well, you mentioned Arya's revenge. I think that's one of the things that on the show versus the books, I don't know yet. In the books, revenge never really works out. And it's hard to know if, if on the show, if we are meant to receive a moment like that as a badass moment of revenge, or if we're also supposed to sort of be scared of what Arya might be becoming. Right. There's something about this show, and there's something about the books that is part of why people love them. 
which is that this is not the fantasy story that you're used to. The Sean Bean character in the first season, Ned Stark, was the guy who looked the most likely to be the hero of the piece, and we saw how that worked out for him. Right, right. And repeatedly, we've seen the guy who looked like he was going to be the hero have things not work out so great. And we've seen the people who were scheming and backstabbing be the ones who kind of run this world. This is not Lord of the Rings, where it's good versus evil. There's not a good person that doesn't have some point where you've been disappointed in them on this show. And there's not a bad person who you haven't rooted for at some point. Even Cersei, who's about as evil as they come, we saw her brought so low that we were able to find some pleasure in her revenge on a lot of people that we actually like. And and the show does that more brilliantly than anyone. And I only wonder, and I worry a little bit, that as we get into the last stretch of the show, that if this does turn into a story where the heroes win and the bad guys are vanquished, mm-hmm. that's not the Game of Thrones that I... I signed up for. So what I'm hoping is that we will see some of these come up and some of these great moments of revenge like we were talking about with Arya. But I hope that we always see the cost and we always see the ugly end in place for someone who maybe does the right thing the wrong way or the wrong thing for the right reasons or whatever. Mm. These good guys, maybe they don't deserve it, but this is a world where people like Littlefinger managed to climb almost to the very top. Do you know what I'm saying? Totally. That it would be a disappointment if suddenly this turned into, and then all the good guys won. Yeah, yeah. I'm very curious to see how they keep that tone going of, let's have those moments of satisfaction, like what Arya did. But let's also be reminded that when we met her, she was a little girl, and we just saw her, you know, basically pull a Jim Jones (laughs) on a room full of people. They've got, like you said, Steve, so many different plot lines going that if they resolve one in almost every episode, there are still tons of things that I don't even know how they're going to get to it all in the course of, of 12 chapters. But yeah, supposedly the last six episodes are all going to be movie length. Did you hear that? Yeah, I read that too. Wow. That's that crazy. crazy. Wow. <sighs> so did anybody have like a favorite moment or a favorite scene they would want to call out before we move on? I'll go with the Arya scene. I, I thought the part at the end where she says... Uh, what does she say? Like she she makes it, she makes, she says something like leave one wolf alive and the sheep are never safe and then she looks at him and, at the daughter and she just tells him like let him know the north the, the north remembers. I, yeah. I like it gave me cold chills. Like that scene was fucking incredible. Like I was like cheering before the credits even came <laughs> up like the opening credits. Yeah, it was so awesome. Cool What's the actor's name who plays uh, uh Walder Frey? He was also in the Harry Potter. I don't know. Films. I just know him as the the, the dude from Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick his name in because it's David Wa- Williams or David Waller or something like that. The actor who plays Walter Frey on Game of Thrones is David John Bradley, age 75. And it says here, he's from England. Ooh. But I thought he was great at playing him, his character, but with a little hint yeah, of something yeah. else. I think that everybody Something's watching, off, yeah. kind of, you that as that scene goes by, it evolves for you as far as like what's going on. I thought that was great. What about you, Ronald? Did you have a particular favorite moment from the season premiere? Probably that scene, and it was it was just a little joke uh, when what's it, the guy came to Cersei um, when he said that he wanted to marry her. Talking about Euron. Yeah, and he said, here I am with both of my hands. Yeah. I thought that was so funny, man. Yeah. That's such a good yeah. show. He said, I've got two good hands, yeah. It's a good show for that. Like, it has a lot of quotables in one episode. My favorite stuff was the Hound and Thoros and Beric, you know, up north, like, making a fire in the little shitty cottage, and the Hound seeing the man and the daughter, the remains of, of some characters that he robbed and sort of also had developed this weird kind of compassion for, and... um the way that that played out with him going and digging a grave for him, you can see he's trying so hard to be like a good person or trying to do what's right, but he doesn't quite know how to do it. That character going forward is someone I'm very interested to see how he handles all the shifting alliances. Like when the chips are down, I think he might be a, a character that we have a lot of fun watching. Absolutely. Do you have any predictions? Like anything that you just think this season before it's over, X is going to happen? <laughs> um, oh my God. How much time do we have, man? <laughs> well, there's a lot of things that could happen in the next season, you know. So I'm trying to think what would they have, what things have to f- happen to wrap up the sort of petty squabbling before the real battle starts. So there, there's a couple of things that I want to see happen. I, I want to see something like, I want to see something come up regarding Tyrion and who his, like, who like who he really is. Like there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a possible like fan theory about who his proper parents are and i would love to hear more about that if, if they pursue that um there's a whole 
and then, again, this is me not reading the books. This is me learning about more of it, like through these recaps and these podcasts. But there was a really interesting conversation about like the prophecy that Rhaegar Targaryen like followed, uh, called the Prince that was promised, and. I am completely like blown away by that whole narrative, like that, that, that prophecy and the language in it and the math in it. And, um, I'm just, I'm just very intrigued to see like what they do with that on the show, if anything. So I would love to see, uh, that brought back up again, or, you know, the conversation, uh, which would, which would kind of have to do with Tyrion and, and who his parents properly are. If, if it is in fact Tywin or if it's not. Right. Um, I don't know, man. I I don't know anything. I, I would love to see uh, something going down, like with the Greyjoys, like something with Theon and and Yara and uh, and Euron. I don't know something something big with the three of them. It, that would be a pretty amazing sight to see. I think. Ah, uh, man. Beyond that, I don't know. Like anything specific. I want to see. So something that like it'll probably be next season. But I, I was like reading this other article about. Um, like just mind blowing moments like that. It would be amazing to see. I think it'd be amazing to see a white Walker dragon on the show. Yeah. That would be fucking incredible. If that was coming up, we know that when something dies, it becomes a, a, an ice version of itself, an ice zombie version. Right. And we've seen ice zombie horses and we've seen a, a vision, at least in this last episode of an ice zombie giant. So to imagine that an ice zombie dragon isn't in impossible i don't know that is that is a cool prediction so i'll put that down as your prediction steve (laughs) because it's too it's too awesome it's too much like a a heavy metal uh, album cover or something you know i could see i could picture the painting of the ice dragon what about you ronald do you have one thing that you just think is gonna happen in the next six episodes um i think but the two starks being together uh i don't know how long they're gonna be around each other sansa and Jon Snow. I don't know how long they're going to function with their kind of different beliefs and will Jon listen to Sansa because ha- she has so much experience now with all these people and that's what I'm the most intrigued about and will Jon die again? <laughs> I think that Sansa is going to die. Oh. That's my, that's my prediction. Interesting. She's going su- to super die. You're saying she's going to go up against John, and in the end, she will be a Stark child who has fallen under the influence of uh, like people in the court down in King's Landing and Littlefinger, and she won't be on the path. Like she's not on the redemption path of of the Starks that you expect, maybe. Right. Interesting. Uh, she's going to die, man. I think she's going to die. That's my prediction. Okay. Can I tell you that my prediction actually contradicts yours, but kind of goes hand in hand with it? So this is kind of funny. Mine is that Littlefinger is going to die at the hands of Sansa. I just see it as it's the only way to complete her arc completely is for her to... And she may yet become kind of a villainous figure like you're talking about. Right, right. But I think that she will prove that she has reached the apex of her arc when she... When she kills her mentor, when she outsmarts Littlefinger and gets him in a position where maybe she, you know, the loyalty of his men shifts to her or something like that. And I think that we've seen how Littlefinger is now kind of cornered. I love the idea of a schemer who comes from no name, no family, no power, and has gotten to where he is. I love the idea of a guy who's just by hustling Mm. and by scheming and lying and, you know, knowing how to manipulate money and knowing how to whisper in people's ears. He's a guy who has affected about as much of the story as any character has. Right. You know, right. he's responsible for some huge things that happened because of, of rumors he started yeah, or schemes yeah, yeah. he was involved in. But I think if if you're going to say, well, next season or, or the last wave of the story is all about humanity versus the, the threat of, of the undead, right? I feel like in that world, there's no place for the schemer. I totally agree with you. I feel like him dying is a great symbol of, okay, now all the the palace tricks are over. All Mm. the whispers and schemes are over. So that would be my prediction for this season, is I feel like Littlefinger, who I think is intermittently very fun to watch and a character who's very, very fun to think about uh, uh, as a literary creation, I think his days are numbered if, if we're really talking about good versus evil. I've already used my prediction, but I, I, I will say I think you're right, John. I think I think that absolutely will happen this season. Well, we'll find out. Maybe we'll catch up uh, at various points in the season or at the end of it, at least, to kind of uh, talk about some of this stuff sure. and see what we yeah. think. Sure. Actually, speaking of predictions, there's something I wanted to talk about with you guys that came up in a, a Facebook chat, I think, yesterday, which is 
that I believe that uh, Marvel's going to kill some name characters in uh, Avengers Infinity War, and Ronald doesn't think they're going to kill them. And we discussed the idea of a bet that he thinks if one character dies, that's, that's to be expected. And I said at least two name characters will die in the Infinity War story. And then Ronald suggested that the thing we were betting for would be a triple scoop of ice cream at the Charmery, right? That's what you suggested. <laughs> yeah, that's what I suggested. <laughs> Here in town. I think it's a brilliant bet. I love the bet. I realized, though, we need to clarify something. And, I, and, and it's mm-hmm. funny that this clarification works in your favor or my favor, theoretically. We don't know. Do you mean at the end of the second part of the story, or do you mean at the end of the first Avengers Infinity War movie? Yeah, because everybody could be dead at the end of the first one and then get brought back in the second one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, which is really weird. So which do you want to say? Second. After the second. So we're saying at the end of the second one, yeah. if two or more name characters are dead, then you owe me a, uh, a triple scoop. Yep. And if only one main character is dead, then then I owe you yeah. one. And then you and I, maybe maybe we can get come back to this when we're sitting face to face and we can sort out which characters count towards the death toll. Because there's some, like, I'm not going to, at this moment, I'm not counting Kobe Smolder's character as a character that will count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get you. That's that's fair. So we'll come back to it. But so the, our bet will be at the end of the second one. So we have to wait about two years to see to see the result of this bet. Steve, do you think anybody's going to die? I sure hope they do. I mean, I think they have to. I hope so, man. Yeah, it seems like it's just like would be. Yeah, it just seems like it wouldn't really pay off. Like if if, if there's not some sort of loss in in this whole universe that they've built. But in in light of um. It will rather in the interest of like not having to buy somebody ice cream. I'll just be neutral so that um, I'll just get to pick one of the scoops that each of you, whoever the winner gets, okay. and and I'll have that scoop. Thanks, right. guys. <laughs> have you ever eaten at the Charmery, Steve? I have. I love it. Okay, they got some good flavors down there. Yeah. Oh man, have you ever had the burger cookie flavor? So good. Oof. So what else have movie wise? What have you guys checked out? Yeah, I mentioned the big three that I saw, which was that. I saw Spider-Man Homecoming. I saw War for the Planet of the Apes. And um, yeah, saw Baby Driver as well. Can we start with War of the Planet of the Apes? Okay, so something interesting came up. When we were texting back and forth, we didn't really get into it. But I asked you what you thought of War for the Planet of the Apes. And you said you thought it was an excellent movie, but that the undertones kind of nagged at you. And I've been really wanting to pick up that topic with you. I think I know what you're talking about, but maybe you could explain that a little bit, what you mean by the undertones of... Do you mean that movie specifically or just the whole Planet of the Apes uh, concept? The whole, so Planet of the Apes has always been a very like weird subject just because I've always heard comparisons to like slavery and black people and things like that just because of the way that they're treated. Just, just, just off of that, right? So the first two, you're like, okay, this is a, this, this is, you know, undertones of this. It feels like it's pieces of it, parts of it, just just based on experiences I've had, things uh, things my grandparents have had, watching footage and things like that. Just the language that's used in these movies feels a little divisive when it comes to that sort of thing, right? And I, I and that's something that not necessarily everybody will feel because you haven't had those experiences necessarily. It's it's a heightened sense of that feeling. This third one. It felt very, 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 you know, like uh, the Holocaust and the circumstances and some of the some of the scenes black people have gone through. I'll add uh, uh, indigenous peoples of the Americas to that list, too. There was a lot of sort of Trail of Tears stuff in this, you know. Oh, yeah. And indigenous. Yes, absolutely. Just minorities. Let's say just the minorities in general. Yeah. There was Holocaust imagery, there was there was Trail of Tears imagery, and there was definitely slavery imagery. And you're wondering, at what point does a story deserve, or have, I think the word people often use is, did this, did this piece of entertainment earn the right to talk about this topic? And I think it's interesting noting who, who's behind the camera, who wrote it, what was the purpose? Right. Zootopia is a movie that also does that comparing like social issues amongst people to a kind of social issue amongst animals. And it's a slippery slope. Anytime you do that, if you invite comparisons between people and animals, because that's what awful racists do as well. It doesn't mean that it's incredibly racist to do that inherently, but it's like, it's a tool of racists. So it's a tricky thing. I, th- I, I would say that ultimately the Planet of the Apes series exists 
as a well-made and thoughtful enough piece of science fiction fantasy that it it does that well enough that it's not trying to completely trade on that imagery. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't think it cheapens those things. But there is a question just kind of hovering in there of who who gets to tell those stories and to what end those those images should be used. Did you enjoy the movie or do, did those issues dog you too much to really sink your teeth in? Um, honest, honestly, it, it was too distracting for me. Um, and, 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 and I think that some of that just comes from just being a little more aware as I get older. Um, so when I was a kid, I learned about, uh, the Willie Lynch letter, which is basically like how to enslave a black person. Right. And some of it kind of talked about the idea of getting people who are within the race to, uh basically be the oppressors so like the scene where uh they give the ape the whip to whip the other ape in front of the other apes like some of that stuff i've heard a million times and seen and things and it just bothered me like it's i i don't know why it's it's hard as a as a black man in the world or black person or minority that's been uh, a victim of the dominant culture in, in some ways to separate some of those images from what they represent. You know what I mean? Like it's it. You can't you can't do it. You can't do it. You know what? It's similar, Ronald. In in um in the Avengers, they they cop they had these like at the end you saw like these roadside uh, sidewalk shrines to people that died or right, right. people that <laughs> yeah. were lost in the explosion of the fictional battle of the Avengers versus space aliens you know and it was clearly it was clearly nine eleven imagery it was clearly like meant to evoke that feeling you had of all the little street side uh, shrines and stuff, vigils and everything. And it was kind of cheap, I thought. I remember yeah. thinking, oh, that feels like don't bring that into my story. I think that th I think sometimes people do kind of carelessly slather that stuff on. Like you said, I mean, I hate to overuse yeah. a word that is is being overused maybe, but it, it could be very triggering to people to see certain images. And, I, and th I'm glad we talked about it because that's what I was trying to get at is, is there some kind of responsibility that filmmakers have not to not to try to, in the midst of some exciting adventure tale, also try to, like, I don't know, cheapen those sort of real tragedies. It's, it's something I actually wonder. Have you ever thought about that kind of thing, Steve? I know you haven't seen the movie, but have you ever thought about that sort of, like, how much reality can you have in your fantasy before it becomes kind of, I don't know, morally ambiguous? It's, it's all a valid it's all a valid point. I mean, it, it's it's something that I don't know. I mean, at least in the in the film series up to this point, I don't know that I personally have like really caught on to that. But I can definitely see in the trailers for this one, I, I can totally pick up on what you guys are talking about. I, I do find it interesting that you know I think as uh, just as we as as people and time just continues to go on, like you know movies that are made or media or songs or any any kind of creation is that is that is coming out. It's kind of inheriting, you know, like the the criticism of, well, not the criticism, but the challenge of, of not doing, not going too far, you know, with what it's trying to imbue, like the, the the piece of art with, you know, whether it's a movie or a song, like not putting too much in it, that it will be, it would be really hard to not see it. Like Ronald is saying, he had trouble kind of watching this and not seeing it. Oh, it's impossible, Steve. It'll it'll come to you. I guarantee you. It's so clear. No, totally, and and I mean, and I see it in the I, I see it in the trailer, and I, I totally see what you're saying, but like you know, on a scale of, of awareness, like you know, Ronald saying like you know he's he's w probably way more aware of some of the things you know than than I would be, you know, he's talking about it and and it catches his eye immediately, so I think when you're making movies or music or television or whatever it is, you know, you have to be careful like that, you know. You may find it powerful, but somebody else may find it distracting and, and almost insulting, you know, and it's it's uh, I don't know. It's 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 a, it's a balance, I guess, that only the really aware and, and really kind of thoughtful people can really put through. But I don't know. I, I, I'm curious to see it in this film, especially now hearing you guys talk about it a little more, because, um, you know, you do you do get the little hints of it a lot heavier in the trailers for this or the marketing for this. Than, uh, than, than most other things that I've seen, you know, like that you could probably liken this conversation to. Well, you know, it's interesting when, when we talked about true crime stuff, we talked a little bit about this idea of 
being able to sit back and be intrigued and interested by these tales of murder and rape and everything is a bit of a privileged position, you know? I wonder if being able to to sort of divorce yourself from those things, to say, well, with all of these issues, I still thought it was a great film. I wonder if that's not also a little bit of a, of a privileged uh, spot. Sure. You start thinking about, well, what, well, what's sacred and what are people allowed to do and who should tell the story? Um, this reminds me of actually kind of connected to Game of Thrones. Have you guys caught all the news about what David Benioff and D.B. Weiss's next big project that HBO has sort of greenlit to go forward will be? It's like Civil War or something? It's like it's like a present day, what if the South won the Civil War story where the South is like a separate nation in the United States and they still have slavery and they have, you know, companies that own people and all this stuff. And okay, so it's, you know, it could be an intriguing social whatever, but the fact that it's these two white guys making it and the fact that they've shown absolutely no interest, I would say, in diversifying the world of Game of Thrones, even though it's a fantasy world and there's no reason why you couldn't have people of color. Like, it doesn't have to be that everybody who's brown lives out in the desert. You know what I mean? It, it could be different. Yeah. So they haven't shown much interest in those issues on on uh, on Game of Thrones. It seems odd that those are the faces that are the ones that are behind this very sketchy idea, which to me seems like the ultimate uh, historical thing that we haven't fully processed yet. So I don't know. What, what do you think of that? And does that, does is this kind of what we're talking about, Ronald? This this sort of idea of like, why why tell these stories? Why does it always have to be this imagery? It's because it's it's people don't consider the other side, the other perspective. It's, you, if you lived in a world where you never had to consider how much you were creating ripples on the other side of the pond, why would you ever even consider putting diversity in these things, considering people outside of the circle that you have, it just it's just the way that it is. That's that's the way that people's messages are conveyed in media in general. So I I have to skirt through that, right? So like it's okay for people who, you know, who don't have to deal with that to be okay with it because they never have to deal with it. But but also there's also a population of people that are starting to become aware of it and understand where people are coming from. You know, it just doesn't sound like a good idea. I mean, it'll probably be really well made and well cast. And who knows, maybe by then they will have a, a, a writer's room that uh, is, is more balanced than they are as just as like a production team. But just as far as the optics on that, again, I know I'm usually the one that brings up the optics, the dreaded word optics. But it is something I'm, I think it's just strange. It's like, no, you guys aren't the ones to tell that story, but I, I feel funny saying that because my general feeling about art is it could come from anyone at any time and you don't get to make rules about it. But I do think there's something to be said for certain things having been co-opted culturally that maybe people should be more sensitive to, but I don't I don't want to be the one who, who goes up to a creative person and slaps the pen out of their hand and says, bad idea. You know, I don't want to do that, but I'm, I'm very quizzical right. about that. That just feels like a bad, uh, a bad thing. Like the headline in the picture, when you see him, you kind of go, hmm, all right, well, <laughs> all right. that seems like it, it seems poorly timed uh, for our moment. Well, I feel like we're, we're uh, coming up against the end of the time that we said we would try to go to with this, um, which means we didn't really get to talk about... Um, a baby driver or spider-man but just in general ronald what were your thoughts on baby driver as far as how it sits within the edgar wright career and and were you one of the people who had this sort of religious experience with it that it seems like roughly half of the viewing audience has had no i didn't have a religious experience but i still think it was a very well done movie it was filmed very well it was uh almost filmed like a musical um and i thought that was really cool had a lot of continuous shots like the first shot where he's getting a coffee in the morning i thought was beautiful um it did have some shortcomings in terms of the story and some of the characters didn't feel as strong as they should have um but still it was a very fun experience and uh this feels like kevin spacey's comeback film in terms of him not dialing it in this is the first movie i've seen in a while where i was i wasn't like man kevin spacey <laughs> Kevin Spacey did an incredible job in this movie and his interactions with Baby, um, who who could be perceived as kind of like kind of the weakest link of the main characters. I thought he was pretty good. I, I liked his character. I really liked Baby and I really liked Kevin Spacey's character. So I think in the end, uh, Ansel Elgort, what's his name? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that in the end, his blandness worked for the movie in a way because he's kind of a blank character, kind of a placeholder character. Yeah. I would say that ultimately that is what kept me at arm's length from the movie in the end, of kept me from just loving it, was that I think all the characters were sort of stand-ins that had a few details added to them, but it felt very pulpy and fun, and the way the characters were sketched in was adequate for me to keep me going through the story. There's a point where it kind of becomes much more of a Quentin Tarantino light sort of crime Mm, story that to me is less interesting than the more whimsical parts of it. But I still think it held on to certain a certain stylistic tightness that is what you expect from Edgar Wright, that every shot was thought out, and in this case, even time to a rhythm, and the actors are doing things to songs being played on the set. It's all very beautifully imagined. Right, right. Like, it, for me, not being a car guy, it totally won me over with all the sort of car action and the fact that it was real stunts and the fact that it was, you know, as as opposite to some of these giant bloated uh, tent poles that we see as you can be. It felt very personal to Edgar Wright in a strange way, and, and I think that'll carry you through. But there's just certain things about it that felt sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that, but I wasn't wild about, you know, certain certain aspects of the, like the romance felt a little thin to me. And maybe it's just unfortunate that this is coming after Deadpool, because uh, I'm to understand Edgar Wright has had this idea for a long time. But it's odd to me that Baby also has uh, an elderly, blind person of color for a roommate. <laughs> I was thinking that too. Yeah, it's just an odd little thing that f- would have felt sort of interesting when it first, you know, was conceived. But now it feels like, oh yeah, sort of like Deadpool's roommate, only a lot nicer. But you know, right, anyway, right. no, it's good. I, I I don't have anything. I don't have anything against the movie. I just I think my my experience contrasted with people that I had seen all over Twitter and all over you know social media just going gaga for it. I sort of had a much more reserved uh, reaction to it, but enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think some of the I think some of the gaga over it is just the idea. Well, one like a lot of people love Edgar Wright, and that's like uh, it's it's a big movie for him. It's like his big film. It's his big summer movie. It's it's going to be his biz, his most successful film, you know, to date. But I think the big thing is is that it's it's it the kind of movie that it is coming out in June. You know, like I feel like it's such a fresh. It's an original film. It's not a property. It's 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 original IP. It's definitely it's something like John said that he's been working on for a long time that finally came out. Um, but it's just it's just the kind of movie that like you want to see more you know more in the theater. You want to see more of this kind of stuff, like character driven stuff that has some sort of angle to it. That's you know you have a great cast. You have characters that you want to get behind or at least learn more about. And, you know, while Baby Driver, like, it doesn't really, not all of it fleshes out as nicely as, you know, I guess I'd hoped it would have. It's definitely got, it's got enough there to be, like, a really good time at the movies and to see uh, a really impressive cast kind of, like, have their moments throughout the film. And uh, if for anything, like John mentioned, that, the, the like, the stunt driving is, I thought, was incredible. And the the lack of using CGI and, you know, doing actual car stunts, um is just it's just like it's a cool thing to see like anytime you can pull that shit off without having to you know have you know a green screen and and you know computer generated imagery and all, all this stuff that sometimes becomes a little too it's it's just everywhere now you know what i mean and it's it's cool to see a person in a car you know an aerial shot of a car you know drifting sideways between two back you know dump trucks backing up in the opposite directions you know in an alley like that stunt is amazing, and you know to see that shot in one take, or you know, in, in what looks like a continuous take, I'm sure there's some editing going on there, but that's cool stuff. And you know, you're 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 being introduced to a new character, you know, whether you like Baby or not, or you like, you know, the guy who played him. It's a movie coming out in June, you know, about you know a, a getaway driver. It's just a cool thing to see, and I mean, it's just it, and you you want to see more stuff like that. You know, not necessarily this film over and over again, but just, you know, the fact that a movie like that comes out and, you know, Edgar Wright, who's mainly played in the genre pool for a while, he's, you know, this movie was supposed to come out in August. It it, it was testing so well and, you know, audience were loving it at all these like cons or these different, uh, what's it called, CinemaCon, like the exhibitor relations things that they do. Um, for all the theater chains, like they all loved it. And like, oh, let's put it out in June. And then it comes out in June and succeeds. I mean... There's there's a chance that the movie could make you know like you know eighty five to hundred million dollars, which would be amazing, you know like that's incredible if that happens. Um, 
but it's just exciting. I mean, and I agree with both of you. Like I didn't, it didn't knock me out. Like I didn't like love it up and down, but it is one of the more enjoyable films I've seen this year. And the fact that it's not like a reboot or a sequel or a remake or anything like that, it's just truly an original movie that some dude's been wanting to make for a long time is, is a plus in my book. And, uh, yeah, so I I actually thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So was that the last movie you managed to see before you went into fatherly exile? Unfortunately, the last film I saw the night that Aaron's water broke was um, also one of the worst movies I saw this year. Uh, it, it's it's a horror film called Wish Upon. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw that that existed, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" I, I think I successfully talked Ronald out of going to the screening. He, you really did, and and you should thank me because that was a piece of shit. I wish I had seen something else as the last movie prior to having a child, just as like a nice little moment, you know, like, oh, that was the last movie I saw before you were born. I'll never tell her about that movie. I will never, <laughs> ever share that movie with her. Uh, I'm going to just tell her it was Baby Driver, because yeah. otherwise it would have been Baby Driver. That's a better option. Yeah, well, you need to see Spider-Man <laughs> so that we can so that we can have a, a, a spoiler section conversation about that, because there's a couple of cool twists. I don't know if you've heard all about that movie, but it's actually got a pretty interesting uh, story. I have, I have, I've, I've not, like, I've tried to stay a lot away from, like, because usually, like, you know, I'm up on them, and I'm seeing them all, like, right when they're opening, but this last couple of weeks has been pretty insane, so I've tried to stay away from reading too much about Spider-Man or even War for the Planet of the Apes. I mean, I want to see Dunkirk, I want to see, you know, I want to see Valerian. There's just so many things I'm behind on, but... Aaron and I are going to try to go see a movie on Sunday, and I think we're going to go see Spider-Man, so hopefully we can check that out and finally be able to talk to you guys about it. Um, you know, before we go, I do I do want to say, you were saying about with uh, Baby Driver emphasizing how important the, the real stunts are. I do want to kind of double back and say, if there's something that's got me excited to see Dunkirk, outside of the fact that it's only two hours long, which seems brisk for a Christopher Nolan film yeah. and for a, a World War II yeah. epic, but also the fact that everything I see looks like a real plane, a real boat, real guys out in the water. Yep. Um, I'm kind of blown away by how good that movie looks to me. It, it, I wasn't that Absolutely. interested at first, but every every shot looks like this little choreographed painting, um, which in a, it's an approach I don't always love, but with Christopher Nolan, I don't know. Sometimes I think that guy... Uh, like it's been a while since I've really loved one of his movies just throughout. Yeah. Maybe since Memento when I first saw it. So I'm ready to believe that this could be something really special. I don't know if you guys have gotten excited for it, but I'm pretty jazzed about Dunkirk. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I mean, it's getting amazing reviews. So I mean, it, it, a lot of people are calling it his masterpiece. So I'm 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 all on it. Don't you love that it's just two hours? It's one hour forty five minutes. One hour and forty five minutes. I thought it was two hours. That's even better. An hour and forty five. I mean, nothing nothing is that short anymore. <clears throat> yeah, no, it's 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 crazy. I think I'm gonna see it at the Science Center. Cool. Well, that's all I got. Okay. Yeah, same here. Yeah, man. Well, we'll touch base shortly once we've all seen some more, and I finally kept, get caught up to you guys. I'm glad we got to talk, though. Yeah. Yeah, man. Same here. It's good to hear from you guys. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys. If you if you listen to this podcast, you know you know where that you found it. But if you can help share with uh, your friends or family or anybody that you think might enjoy listening to Movie Schmovie. We are pretty much available most places that podcasts are found. Um, Wherever it is that you listen to us, if you could please leave a review or a rating or any kind of option that's available there or even share it on, uh, you know, the the link to us on your your social media platform of choice. It would uh, be appreciated. Uh, You can find us at MovieSchmovie.com for past episodes as well if you prefer to stream it through the web. Um, but there's plenty of ways to find us and once you do um, we thank you in advance and uh, share the love that's all Um, so as always you've made our day take care bye